Welcome again to It Doesn't Take a Genius, conversation with introspective perspectives and pithy points of view. Here are your hosts, my friends, Max and Marty. I think that's Mark and Mike. Yeah, whatever. Ramsey! Marshall. Huh? <laughs> I, it's, I wish people could hear the recording before the recording, like I said the last time, because, you know, you, you even sounded professional. Three, two, one, like there's, like there's a, you know, a... A board being clicked here or something as oh, if yeah. you know what we're yeah. doing well you can actually see the boom mic every now and then dip into the shot <laughs> you know from the from the gaffer <laughs> yeah. i'm using my fancy production words right. so so i'm excited because if anyone's listening to this that means that we didn't get canceled after episode 52 uh, uh that's right where we may have insulted every culturally attractive person in the world. So, <laughs> and, and I don't know if you, maybe that's why we didn't get canceled because people don't assume they're culturally attractive or they are, they don't want to bring attention to it by attacking people who yeah. talk about it. I, yeah, and I've thought of another uh critique of of even what we said and not that i necessarily agree with the critique but i'm waiting for it to show up in in some of the feedback we receive um but i'll just say this um you know we're we're not developing satan shoes or anything but these are these episodes that are coming out are some of our most popular that we've ever had so um a little cultural reference there mike to uh you know what's going on in our world right now Oh, you are all about the clickbait. <laughs> nice. Nice. All right. So we're talking about the eight universal leadership qualities, according to Plato, yes. Aristotle, Socrates, all these cool guys. Yes. Uh, and so we're down to, uh, now that we've covered very good looking, which uh, obviously we've mastered, the right. uh, natural talent for studies. Yeah. So... Um... This is this is the one where to me it it starts to get complicated because you can't just say this on you know on the surface value we could just say you want to be a great leader you need to be a learner learners are leaders you know what what's the you hear people say uh, uh, not every reader is a leader but every leader is a reader you know it's it's that kind of a you know we could just keep it at the surface level and say yeah you need to improve yourself but plato is actually going a step deeper and to to talk about that we'll have to just remind everybody that this republic this fictitious republic that socrates and his friends are creating in in plato's book the republic is to give us an analogy for the person and there's the head the heart and the gut of the person just as in this fictitious republic there's a philosopher who's the king and there are the guardians who help him. And then there's the rabble, everybody else who has all these appetites and desires and has to be kept in check. Well, how do you educate the head and the heart? How do you educate the king and the guardians who are going to help him execute the law is sort of the, the question on the table. And we're in the middle of all these characteristics that identify. Well, so he gets into talking about the guardian um, shortly before he lists these eight principles, these, these eight characteristics. And um, he basically says, well, wait a minute, you know, we, we, we want somebody who's going to be fierce and passionate and courageous, just like we talked about in the second characteristic, right, that there, there's got to be some courage mm -hmm. there. But he can't be that all the time. 
like that's got to be only towards the enemies of the republic. The, he's got to be gentle to the citizens. And so he hits on this analogy. He says, wait a minute, it's just like a good dog. So Mike, I'm going to throw it to you. I did not prep you for this hardly at all. I basically just told you we might talk about something you're interested in. You have been involved in shelter dog uh, efforts for some time with your daughter. Could, could you talk a little bit about, um, like, is it really true that a dog um, has some natural inclinations to be protective of its pack and its family and to be fierce towards everything else? Is that a fair assessment of a, of a dog to you? Oh, definitely. Yeah, yeah. No, we've been blessed to be involved with a lot of dogs and uh, you know, coming from various backgrounds and, and things like that. So, so one of the things you see is, is the, and you hear the term territorial. Ah. And so, so, yeah. so yeah, if, if this is my space and this is my pack, yeah. uh, once I've determined that, if anything looks like it's threatening to that space or that pack, uh, you know, a member of my pack, yeah, I'm ferocious. Right. Right? It goes back to, like you said, number two, courage. Yeah. Uh, you know, they display and even little tiny dogs display right. courage well beyond their weight class. Yes. yes. <laughs> so, you know, but at the same time, within the pack, right, right, there's an incredible amount of love. Uh, you know, yeah. there's, 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 there's sharing of food, there's there sharing of resources. Uh, yeah. You know, even at this, at this animal level, uh, you yeah. see acts of caring. And, and, and sometimes we, 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 you know, we attribute human characteristics to animals, uh, but sure. from where we're standing, that's what it looks like when you when there's a warm spot on the bed and you let your 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 fellow pack member lay on that spot, uh, yeah. even though it's crowding you out, right? There's there's something going on there, and yeah. so yeah, there is tremendous ferocity, but also within the pack, there's tremendous care and tremendous love. Okay, so let me let me read you. Um... Uh, a little, a little piece of of how he describes this, um, and uh, I hope I, I'm, I'm I'm not gonna read the whole thing, um, but he he basically uh, says that this is this is sort of similar. <laughs> Dogs are sort of similar to these guardians, okay? And it's in that they love learning. Mm -hmm. So so there's the weird thought. Um, he says, uh, they get fierce with strangers, even before the slightest harm has been done them. And they welcome familiar people, even if they've never been benefited by them. Um, like you think of like the, the baby born into the family, right? Immediately a part of the pack, right? Almost right. immediately a part of the pack. Um, has this never struck you as surprising? And uh, he says, uh, but don't you think that this feature shows how naturally smart they are and how genuinely they love knowledge? And Socrates' friend says, how? And he says, because their sole criterion for the friendliness or hostility of what they see is whether or not they have learned to recognize it. Ooh. Now, anything that relies on familiarity and unfamiliarity to define what is congenial and what is alien must prize learning, mustn't it? Right. So um, learning is the same thing as loving knowledge, he says. But, but this idea that um, they can tell what's friendly and what's hostile based on whether they have learned to recognize it. Um, so, so if they're familiar or unfamiliar with something allows them to know, um, you know whether or not it's, it's something there to, uh, to, to foster or to uh, push away, right? And again, we're talking about 
the guardians of this republic. We're talking about our hearts that have all this passion and fierceness and courage and drive to help us get the thing done. You know, we we uh, we've talked about the elephant and the driver. You know, this is this is that elephant. Um, but but the elephant has been trained. The the guardian dog has been trained um, to to recognize the good and make sure we pursue that and attack anything else that's going to get in the way of that. Does that resonate with you the way it does me? It, it does, right? It's very powerful the, uh, to continue with your dog analogy. Yeah, we'll, we'll, at the shelter, we'll get in a stray. And, and if I'm wearing a, a baseball style cap and I walk up to that stray, it, it immediately just teeth bared, hair raised, just wants to, to kill me. Mm. And, and I, can, I can leave, take off the hat, walk back, dog's perfectly fine. Huh. So at some point in its in its you know really tough pasts, yeah, you can assume that somebody in a baseball hat uh, you know created a threat to this animal. That makes a ton of sense. And it, it and it's it's ready. It's like if you're wearing a hat, gonna have to we're gonna have to go at it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, you know, and if you're not, obviously you're a friend. And I've experienced other humans without hats who've shown me love. Right. And, and I've I've learned from that, and that's part of my part of my knowledge base, which also determines my behavior. Right, right. And, and you think about, you know, where this shows up uh, in an organization, um, you know, teams that have uh, made an effort to get really clear on their values. And everybody's familiar with their values because they've, they've taught it, everybody has learned it, they've really applied themselves, they've, they've taken some time outs to, to come up with this you know, vision and, and values and purpose, whatever it is, these statements that, that explain what they're about, what's good to that organization. Um, man, their decision-making is so much faster. Uh, their teamwork is uh, so much more uh, seamless. Uh, you know, the, the actions that they give off are, are the right actions to accomplish what they're trying to accomplish because they know what to say no to, right? Steve Jobs, said something along those lines that he was as proud of what they said no to as what they said yes to at Apple uh, because they knew what they were about, right? They, they knew that they were out to change the world in this particular way. And so if it got in the way of that, if it wasn't the best way to do that, bah, forget it, be an attack dog against that thing. And I, mm -hmm. I think that's sort of where, where the, the dog analogy meets the, the modern organization. Oh, definitely. Right. Podcast about this, but I love it. So we saw this in the pandemic. So, so staff, you know, you, you cut back staff in different places to, to sometimes it was just the manager. There were no team members. Right. And then as, as things started to ramp back up, they brought back people. Well, and it was interesting just to see one, who did they bring back first? <laughs> right. Right. Who's that? You know, if you if you if you can only keep one team member, right? It's just you and a team member to do the entire department. Who are you going to bring back first? Yeah. And it was the the person that you talked about, the person who understood the vision, the mission, the values, uh, was a quick study. Uh, you know, was completely engaged, and so they brought them back, and then they brought back the second person, the third person, the fourth mm -hmm. person, and mm -hmm. and as they got farther along, that some point, you know, managers told me there was a tipping point. Yeah. We're, we're bringing back that, that less engaged uh, you know, person who, who didn't quite get what the organization was trying to accomplish, yep. actually set the organization back, yeah. right? Errors went up, 
things were taking longer uh, with the addition of this person. And so it was really this eye-opening, you know, uh, ability to Even see. Even though they all have a capacity issue and need more bodies, yeah, there were people yeah, they, that they, they couldn't they, bring back. Yeah, they weren't bringing them back because they did need them. They, they absolutely needed them and they were all worn out. And yeah. yet the addition of a person who wasn't part of the pack, who wasn't part of, who didn't get it, was actually a detriment to, to providing right. service or, or to uh, creating a return on investment. That's really good. And so, so to, um, to we're going to sort of jump back and forth here, but so, so if that general concept uh, makes sense, let me, let me just quote Plato on, on what he actually says about this idea of learning. Um, you know, he, he'd been talking about these, these uh, people that are good and solid, you know, they're, they're reliable, they're, um, courageous, and they're very good looking. And if you want to learn more about that, listen to the last three episodes. But he says, in addition to that, they have to have a natural talent for these studies. And um, he says, they must be sharp and quick at learning. Uh, you see, physical exercise is far less appalling to the mind than intense intellectual work, since intellectual work is more exclusively mental. It belongs to the mind rather than being shared with the body. So he's, he's making a point that all the stuff we're talking about is quite painful. I mean, it is not something that we relish doing. You know, the, the analogy you and I, I know, have used from, from almost day one is, you know, you, you need to change your tire. Well, you don't do that while you're driving down the interstate. Even if you're late for a meeting, you pull over, right? And so, so what we've got here is, um, hey, Mr. Leader, I know you want to go do stuff. I know you want to go accomplish things. Take a break. Go think a bunch. Go get clear on a lot of these things. Won't that be great? Won't you just super enjoy that, like not accomplishing anything at your organization and instead thinking through things? And yet that's the powerful uh, aspect of leadership here is the ability to do that. Oh, yeah. Well, we get thanked all the time. Don't we, though? <laughs> Yeah, yes. yeah, this is one of our great contributions is we show up in an organization that's running 100 miles an hour yeah. and we make them stop for an hour, stop for 45 <laughs> right. minutes and right. just think about what are the possibilities? What are the next steps? What yeah. do you want this to ultimately be? Yep. And, and and they always thank us at the end. They, you know, While they're catching up on all the stuff that piled up while we were doing these right. things, they, they're always like, this was so helpful. You, you, yeah. you show up. You make us pull our heads up and look around and figure out yeah. where we're really going. And that is immensely valuable. And, and you're, you're like, you know, you could easily do this without me. <laughs> right. But, right. But because of the whirlwind and everything, uh, you yeah. forget to do it. And, you, and then all of a sudden it's weeks and then it's months and then it's years before yeah. you've really stopped to think about yeah. what am I doing and, and, and how could it be better and what we could be doing, what's the next step, what's the ultimate vision of this? I, I may have brought this up, but the, the most backhanded, wonderful compliment I've ever received, a, a dealer announced to his management team, he said, you know, uh, uh, having Mark here is like going to church. You know, my wife wants me to go, and I don't want to go, and and then after I've gone, I always feel better. It's yep. like, thank thank you. Yeah, but 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 he's right. I mean, you know, he's he's absolutely right. And, uh, you know, one of our uh, mentors, Greg Tansky, uh, both of us uh, have a deep love for, for Greg Tansky and his uh, work in organization development. And he always told me, you know, Mark, don't, don't ever get too big for your britches. You are an excuse for them to have a conversation that they need to have. Mm -hmm. Well, that, you know, Tansky uh, was a Peter Senge disciple. 
So here's the fifth discipline itself, uh, Peter Senge's, uh, mm -hmm. you know, seminal work. And the idea, you know, the, the subheading says it all, the art and practice of the learning organization. And Senge's, you know, I'm, I'm no expert, but Senge's basic point is, you know, look, you know, the, the best organizations actually do learn as a system inside themselves and inside the system of whatever market they're in, et cetera, et cetera. And there are these five disciplines that if you're truly a learning organization, you're going to do. Well, first off, learning organization, that's what Plato is talking about here is, is, mm -hmm. you know, is learning. But two of the, uh, I, I pulled out a couple quotes here, two of these disciplines that allow you to be a learning organization is um, mental models, uh, working with mental models, um, which, which might even mean like um, some of the mental models you work with are assumptions, like, like here's one in the car dealership world, buyers are liars. How true is that, right? Turn a mirror on yourself and how true is that statement? And are you willing to have a, a, a dialogue about that where you maybe adjust your opinions, which leads to another one of the, um, the, the disciplines, which is team learning literally having the dialogue and, and having the sort of the, uh, if, if you will, the, the humility um, to sort of have a back and forth and maybe adjust your opinions so that you learn as a team instead of just, uh, just yourself. We could talk about Senge all day long, but it, basically what he's getting at there is the idea of learning being key <laughs> to moving forward and, and doing it with some practices and habits that Plato probably would appreciate. Oh yeah, yeah. I remember one of one of the most powerful meetings I was ever a part of. Uh, the the owner walks in and, and and he looks at his leadership team and says, "Listen, we're going to do something, and I don't know exactly how we're going to do it. Mm. And I need all of you to share with me your ideas. I will ultimately make the decision on which direction and how we go about it. But at this point, I don't know how to do it." Oh, that's great. And, and man, we just had, you know, all these ideas come forth and, and, yeah. and, and it was semi, you know, there was semi consensus around an idea of the story and, and we just moved forward and it was, and it was just killer, right? The execution, yeah. the engagement after that was amazing. And it wasn't, oh, it, he wasn't playing. He wasn't just, you know, setting his team up to try and get more feedback. He literally didn't know, didn't know how to do this and, yep. and but he was he was in this case you know, like our our number two uh quality courage he had the courage to say i don't know and i need your help right and and everybody just just leaned in i mean you just you couldn't help but want to be a part of whatever was going to happen next yeah i i love that because um you know I don't want people to think that uh, a lot of this classical thought that uh, we're sort of bringing forward in the podcast is like a trick or a manipulation tool. You know, it's kind of the opposite. Um, but the byproduct is that he was willing to do a good thing and be honest and genuine with his people. And he was willing to do a good thing and bring them into the conversation and include them and, um, you know, not treat them like they were just cogs in his machine. And um, that was the right thing to do, right? That, that was good. That was good leadership. That was morally good leadership, I would argue. Mm -hmm. oh, and the benefit, the impact, the result was that he got buy-in. He got uh, uh, an organization that improved. He got, you know, all these things that, you know, you can go listen to a million other podcasts that'll, you know, 
how to get buy-in. You know, I, I mean, you you could go go chase down how to manipulate your way to success if that's all you wanted to do. But the idea here is that all of these good things roll out of uh, doing the good thing. Mm-hmm. Well, and as we've, we've always seen, the, the values of the leaders ultimately become the value of the organization. That's right. And so, and so if you as a leader demonstrate the value of, of learning, uh, curiosity, that, that, I, that I know that I can be more, do more, uh, then that will become a value within your organization. Yes. And so when you when you meet somebody and they're and they're they're always talking about the the latest book they read, the the most recent TED talk, how they've implemented some things from that. What you typically find is the people that have been around them a long time, they're also reading and learning and studying yeah. and, and and doing those types of things. Well, you know uh, what? To, and and to wrap us up on that we're back to talking about dogs, aren't we? I mean, because the same thing at that organization happens to the counter. You know, somebody comes in and isn't that way and is, you know, sort of command and control and, uh, you know, calling shots or disparaging another department. And if they've got this good set of values trickling down from leadership, you know, some of the guardian dogs, the attack dogs in that organization, some of the chief lieutenants are going to say, whoa, 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 that's not how we do things around here. And uh, and push out what's going to be an enemy of that organization. Those those bad behaviors, bad values. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. The, the the people closest, uh, you know, on the same level right. or slightly below that person, always know well before the pack leader that this is not a good fit. Yeah, right. <laughs> you know, they always know. They're like, you know, first of all, they question why did we bring him into the pack. <laughs> you know, what, who who let this guy in? Uh, you know, there's that question, and then it's okay. How long are they going to let this person stay? Yeah, you know, yeah. because they obviously don't fit. They're counter to our our, our values, and, right. and they're causing disruption on the team that isn't positive. And so, you know, at some point, yeah, it has to get to the to the person who can make a decision to say, okay, yeah, maybe this isn't a good fit. We're either going to try them in a part of our organization where they will fit, or they need to go find an organization where they they're more more aligned. Uh, yeah, values wise. Yeah. Well, I, I love that, and um, yeah, I mean, it, just practically speaking, you know, there are some ways to uh, start implementing this. You know, have you clarified what you're about? You know, do you do you have a value statement, a vision? Uh, not not so much a vision statement, but like you know, what's what's the vision? What are you know? Why are why are you in existence, and what are you what are you hoping to accomplish? And then um, uh, you know, have have you really uh, taken time to test your assumptions? You know, have have you asked in a meeting? You know, what are we assuming here to be true that may not be true? And given your your team a chance to to be like that leader and say, I I just don't know. You know, let's dialogue about this. Those are powerful. So, I, any more that you'd add to that, Mike? Well, uh, there's a there's a new book out called Think Again by Adam Grant, mm. and it's all about examples of people who didn't, re, you know, and organizations who didn't rethink their assumptions and, and some of the bad things that happened to them, as well as organizations like Apple. Steve Jobs was not going to do a phone. He oh, was, yeah. He was right. vehemently opposed to a phone and his yes. engineers and people kept coming to him. He says, no, he says, phones are not Apple. You have to deal with the carriers and and their restrictions, and we can't ever do a phone that that yeah. that that's a fully up Apple to, ecosystem to the to the whole Apple you know, you know values. 
Right. And then once they once they they showed him how we could they could get the carriers to adapt to what he was trying to do, then and only then did he approve the phone. So right. So so there was there was learning at, at different levels. The vision, right? He was protecting the vision, and until they could do it in a way that aligned with the vision, he was against it. And yeah. you know, the rest is history. Within a few years of the the iPhone's release, <laughs> it accounted for fifty percent of the, the the company's profits. So. Um, that ability to retest your assumptions, uh, to question, okay, is you know, is what I believe previously still true, and, and if not, what's changed, and then what do I need to do uh, to adapt to the new reality? All of this will take slowing down to learn. That that's the you know the 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 hard part of uh, what you'll have to get used to, Mister or Miss Leader, is the fact that you will have to slow down to do this, um, but you slow down to speed up. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah, as they say in my house, fast is slow, slow is fast. I love it. <laughs> love it. Love it. Love it. Yeah. Well, let's, uh, this is pretty good stuff. Excited for the next episode. And I know our announcer is completely amazed at everything that we've talked about. <laughs> oh, let's see what he's got to say. So go ahead and tweet that or share it any other way you want. As always, there are no rights reserved, no trademarks, no copyrights. Share it if you want to. And join us next time on It Doesn't Take a Genius.